Welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. Today we have a friend, a colleague, Shalamis Cheryl Mayerfield. She's a licensed clinical social worker, and she treats clients at her private practice as a child and family therapist with office locations in Nassau and Rockland counties. She also conducts telehealth sessions virtually. Shalamis is part of the PUA Cares team and is a regular speaker for PUA Fertility webinars, which I've joined her as well. She also lectures at NYU Postgraduate Program for Child and Family Therapy and other continuing education programs. I'm so excited to have her on. Let's get right into it. Welcome to this week's episode. We have an amazing therapist who's a friend of mine who I truly, really admire and her work and what she does. Uh, Shalamis, could you please introduce to all the listeners who you are and what you do? Hey, everyone. So first of all, Ellie, thank you so much for having me on. It has been such a joy. Anytime that we get to collaborate and work together, we like have such a great vibe that we play off of each other. So I'll give you a short snippet about myself. My name is Shalama Cheryl Mayerfeld. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I have been in practice for several years now. I've kind of lost count somewhere between uh, 10 to 15. I'm not sure. I always say we go into mental health and not like accounting because I ain't a numbers person. Same, same. (laughs) Yeah. No math for me. No, no, not at all. So I have um, two practice office locations in Nassau County and in Rockland County. And I also do many lectures. You and I have worked together Mm -hmm. presenting for the organization of PUA, talking about various infertility struggles that many couples and individuals face. I also uh, work at NYU and their postgraduate program on family and child play therapy, which is really awesome. So we're in my sixth year doing it. Of course, this year it's a little bit different because we're doing it all in Zoom, which is really interesting because a lot of us therapists are working on Zoom also. Um, So it's been a great way for me to fine tune those telehealth skills. And it's something that maybe we're going to talk about tonight also, like how to use all of that, the play therapy and how to use it both with children and even with adults in our relationship. I totally feel like my, my whole vibe as a therapist is in person. First of all, I'm not dressing as a therapist. I'm wearing like t-shirts and like lounge pants every day. But on top of that, like, I feel like my skills of like the personality and my person to person um, kind of vibe that I bring to the office is totally taken out of my hands. And it's been a really big struggle for me as a therapist to kind of hone new skills that I never thought I would have to rely on, whether it's a Zoom call. And of course, when technology doesn't work, the phone calls and who knows if it's going to be covered and all those kind of stressors that kind of add to being a therapist. But also, I don't know about you, but my show rate has been so much higher recently because there's more access. There's no excuse of people going, oh, the bus, the train, this, that, and the other thing. We're just in people's homes. Have you felt like what has been your biggest struggle as a therapist during Corona? Okay, great question. So first of all, when it comes to the telehealth stuff, there's been a lot of pros and cons to it. There is something very powerful in just sitting a client and a therapist together in a room. There's something very almost difficult to put words to, something very intimate to that. What's really interesting in the telehealth is, first of all, like you said, the show rate increased, right? Like people are much more likely to 
check in and to be able to be in their comfort of their home. You know, I'm always joking around with my client, you know, pajamas on the bottom and professional wear on top. And my clients are also doing that. So I had they're one loving client, being that casual. I had one client who was in the bathtub on a phone call. And I had to tell them really respectfully and nicely just to create boundaries that I, I could not have session with them knowing that they were literally in the bathtub. So they were like taking a bath in the bathtub, not hiding the in the bathtub. Like, no, though they were like in the bathtub, like that classic scene of like decompressing at the end of the day with like a glass of wine and a nice book and, and candles. And, and, but she added therapy and I had to say to her, I said, excuse, like, I'm so sorry, but I can't. I can't do this with you right now. This is too uncomfortable. This is not okay. Um, you know, because if you think about it from a, a perspective of being a therapist, like you said, there's something about being in the practice of being in your office with someone. But I think people are kind of loosening up on what that means. And I have clients who are, have been working and on the phone with their AirPods. I've had clients who are going shopping and doing things because normally they wouldn't have the ability. They would be in my office or not. But yeah. now it's like it's free for all. Mm-hmm. And I have learned that with my clients, I sometimes need to remind them about some of those boundaries. So, you know, when you're coming into the office, on the one hand, there's this intimacy that you're together. It's a different kind of intimacy on the telehealth because I'm seeing their rooms. I'm seeing sometimes their bedrooms. I'm seeing certain parts of their life that you wouldn't usually see. But on the other hand, I have to sometimes remind them about what the boundaries are going to look like. And of course that conversation is going to be different depending on when I'm working with a child versus when I'm working with an adult, but reminding them that, you know, be in a place where you feel comfortable to speak privately, consider being on a device that has a bigger screen. So you could Mm -hmm. see more of my face. I could feel like it's Mm -hmm. more interactive. Make sure you have good internet. Here's what we do. If we don't have internet, it it is interesting. We have to think about this so that you wouldn't have thought of before. Yeah. Usually you don't want them having internet in your office. They don't space out. (laughs) Right. But I think one of the biggest things, and I think we'll just go right into some of your stuff we discussed about talking about is that this all has to come down to a few things. And one of them is relationships, right? How we interact with other people. And that has totally changed. Right. I don't know about you, but you know, all the holiday seasons have passed or passing. And I had to have a Zoom Hanukkah thing with my family that a family get together that's been going on for over a hundred years. Every year, my family of my mom's side gets together on Hanukkah at a party every year, 50 to 60 people. And it's grown when people got married and kids, we did it through Zoom. So now with therapy and the relationships we're having with ourselves and others, how have you seen kind of those effects on mental health? Okay, great question. So I've actually seen two things coming up. One is, like you mentioned, is the way technology has played into how we've been relating to each other. Now, frankly, I think that that's something that's been building for quite some time. Now, mm-hmm. I'm a little bit older than you, so maybe I'm a little less technologically involved. Oh, we were I'm terrible at tech. I'm we terrible. went on air. I am very not technologically savvy, which I'm learning. But already for quite many, many years, people have been interacting and learning how to socialize more and more with technology. Then came COVID, and that like kind of burst, which... There's, of course, a lot of pros and cons to that, certainly. But what we're learning is how to connect with others through technology, maybe creating different kinds of traditions and customs around it. 
Like you mentioned having the Hanukkah party on Zoom. Like you said, having a lot of connections with family members over holidays, over Zoom, and finding new customs and traditions around that. Like, for example, on one of a family party that I had several months ago um, over Zoom with my family, we did breakout rooms and we had little games with them, then came all back together. It was great. It was fun. So we're finding a new way. But the other big thing that's coming up, which I think would be really interesting to talk about, is during the beginning time of when COVID hit, you know, that was a scary time, right? Not to say that it's not scary now, but we had no idea what we were stepping into. And I'm remembering that first week, that second week of lockdown, when it already felt like forever. And here we are, what are we, eight months later? A very long time later. That's all I know. We're still talking about this. I can't count. Remember, we can't, math is not my thing. <laughs> right. so. Math is not our thing, but we know it's been a long been time. A <laughs> um, but what's been happening especially during those early times of lockdown and that is still going on for many people as they continue and go in and out of lockdown depending on what of course your exposure is is that all this relationship stuff that's going on kind of rose to the surface Mm -hmm. so what i mean is like i picture as if you know you're you're cooking on a big vegetable soup right and you stir it and when you stir it all the stuff rise to the surface, the good and the bad, all, everything comes up, everything is mm. highlighted. And that's a big thing that has happened during lockdown. So whether that's, you know, relationships among one's um, partner, among spouses or romantic partners, again, the good and the bad, maybe the, oh no, we're spending so much time together in this lockdown and we're being aware of certain conflict that's mm-hmm. coming up. Or, hey, we realize that we don't need anyone else. We've created a little bubble and that's awesome. Or certainly, oh, this is coming up all the time, relationships with parents and their children, Mm. managing the homeschooling, affecting stress, dealing with bonding, Um, of course, relationships with roommates that Mm. may be going on. You're not choosing. Maybe you you pick somebody to be your roommate for financial reasons, and suddenly you're in lockdown with them (laughs) and you're cut off from your family. Right. You didn't get into the interview process of a roommate, you know? (laughs) <laughs> right. How do you, what do you deal with the quarantine? I don't know. Well, we need to figure this out. Now it's going to be a question on interview processes, right? No joke. That's for sure going to be the next thing, right? <laughs> and of course, one of the most important stuff is our relationship with ourselves. For many people who either are living alone or even people who aren't living alone, but are now cut off socially in different ways and not the same way that a Zoom call is going to provide for them. Mm-hmm. Like we said that, you know, certain power that happens when you're in the same room as your loved ones, or even to be cut off from work or workmates or certain socialization or hobbies, it brings to the surface a lot of that stuff that comes up in our relationship with ourselves. So I've been thinking a lot about this idea that lockdown and COVID time has, like I said, surfaced a lot of relationship stuff, but it has surfaced it not just for getting through lockdown and quarantine and COVID, but also hopefully at some point in the near future, we hope this is going to be a thing of the past. Mm-hmm. But maybe there can be something to taking a little bit of what we become now more aware of and the stuff that was brought to the surface in these important relationships. And like how to use that then in other aspects of our life post-COVID. I, and I, I want to get into all the different points that you made because I think they're so important. You know, one of the things that I keep saying, the two positives that I've figured out for myself personally has been, let's say with parent to child, my child's a year and a half old. There's no, thank God, thank God, there's no homeschooling going on right now. You know, I've had colleagues who've had to drop out of work because of it. It is a huge amount of stress, but I got to see my baby walk and and grow up and grow into herself being isolated with us. 
you know, just the two of us, two parents with a baby, her speaking and her language skills are so much better than they might've ever been being with a babysitter. And then the other aspect, and I, I appreciate that very much that I got to see that and be there with her and enjoy the time with her and bond with her, even though of course, mommy's always the default. And I love that that's a thing, even though it frustrates me because I'm so jealous of that. But everyone tells me that that will change soon. Fingers crossed. But with uh, my wife, one of the big things is that um, when it comes down to it, my wife said something to me recently about, I miss missing you. Have you heard that at all? So first of all, I love what you said, because you brought up exactly those two points, right? The things that are brought to the surface that can be really positive, and I very much relate to what you, you said. I, I experienced something similar with my husband, my three-year-old son, and and yes, certainly watching his skill set really, really incredibly develop as far as his vocabulary and his communication and just having that time. He didn't miss school at all, but there's also going to be some of that negative stuff. I love how your wife worded that. I miss missing you. Something about missing out on that piece of it, missing out on um, the longing, missing out on, there's a reason why we have interaction with people outside of our core relationship and kind of like, how do we deal with that? So what are some Um, tips that you think? I want to talk for a moment yeah, go for about it. something you said about the parenting piece. Tips actually with the parenting piece, I'm going to start with that. That will hopefully um, people can use both, like I said, post-COVID. So you and I, thankfully, we experience both that, like that bond with their child and being able to be there and relishing it. I've heard that from many parents, but for many parents, I've also heard the opposite of I, I want to pull my hair out. Like I, I've had enough of being around my kid all the time, right? Like I've heard parents say either there's a reason why I wasn't a stay-at-home parent or I've heard parents say, I always thought I wanted to be a stay-at-home parent. And I'm like, no, I definitely don't. And then of course, there's all this guilt that comes into it of my child desires me and needs me. And right now I'm their only source of interaction because they're not going to their play group or they're not hanging out with their friends. And they're not seeing other family members. And how am I going to deal with that when I'm maybe starting to feel kind of suffocated by all of their needs. So I, I'm going to give like, this is going to sound oversimplifying it, but I actually found this to be very effective. Two like tiny, tiny tips for that. The child just seems to constantly like need that attention from the parent. And the parent is like, I need a little bit of my space. And again, that's something that kind of rose to the surface like, a lot during quarantine and COVID time. Many, and of course, something else that came up is that children, the, the needy, so to speak, and I'm using air quotes, of course, nobody else can see me, um, but those needy children became even more needy during COVID mm-hmm. time and even more attached to parents. So two very, very small ideas that I find to be incredibly helpful is one is doing, they're both actually similar, and doing activities with your child that are reminding and igniting in them a sensory experience. So here's what I mean by that. One, the really simple one is reading books with your children. I love this for parents. You could be really simple, any really, really, really simple storybook, because just reading the book, A, the parent can kind of have a little bit of that personal boundary of just like space out, tune out, and just reading the books. Like even if they're not doing a great job, not doing I all know Pout Pout Fish by heart. <laughs> See, there you go, right? And even if you do just in the monotone way, there's this joint experience of the parent and the child 
of they're sitting presumably probably in a similar place next to each other. They're using their sense of sight to look at the page together. They're using their sense of hearing to listen and pick up on the words. So they're having this joint combined physical experience, but in a way that may be more tolerable for the parents. They don't feel like they have to be 1000% on and in with what the child is going through Mm. emotionally. I love that. Um, Another idea that I often say is to, um, you know, I, I hear a lot of parents who are talking about like kids who, like I said, are, I'm going to use some of the negative terms for it, but, you know, the parents out there are experiencing, they're going to get what I'm saying, where their child's feeling very clingy, like always pulling on them. You know, they need their parents to sit with them. Well, you and said the good word before, right? Like suffocating. It's very suffocating. It's a great mm-hmm. word for it. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that. Another idea and I've seen many parents use this effectively, find something else that has, has a sense to it and give it to the child and create that emotional connection to it. Mm. So here's what I mean. Something as simple as like, you know, I went onto Amazon and I bought you this blanket because I thought of you and it's so soft and I'm going to get your name even um, embroidered on it, right? So you're taking two things. You're helping them to connect with the physical sensation of it. And you can remind them when you hold it, put it up to your face, feel how soft it is. And when you're holding it, you're going to remember how much I love you and how much I care about you. So you're creating that physical component and emotional attachment to it with yourself as the parent without you needing to be hand by hand with I, I love that tip. You know, my my nephew, um, when he was about, I don't know, five or six, and he used to sleep over at my parents' house, um, he would miss my brother and sister-in-law a lot. Uh, not that he was so distraught that he couldn't be, you know, dealt with, but he just, at nighttime, specifically bedtime, he missed daddy. And so my, I think my father, my brother had like really old t-shirts of his in the house still. And he wore my brother's old T-shirt with a picture of the wedding picture of his parents, my brother and sister-in-law, next to them. Um, and I thought that was weird before I got into therapy. I was like, this is like very like, a, I don't know, like a, like a weird like setup. Like it's so interesting, but it's a really, it's a tactile way to create that connection without the person being there, but like to feel like if I wear this, if I hold this, it reminds me of the love of mommy and daddy. Yeah, I love that example that you said, because there are a few things to that. There was a tactile, like you said, the holding it, and there also was a picture. It actually reminds me of another, you know, to go off a little bit, one of my favorite, favorite interventions that I recommend to parents, and I also teach to therapists who use to work with children, is where you can create with a parent and with a child some kind of a thing, whether it's um, like a popsicle stick image where you can make a little, you know, the parent and the child, where I have the parent decorate something to match themselves and the child makes one to match themselves. You can have like this little popsicle stick person of it, or you could use pictures where a child is maybe drawing a picture using their own picture and the parent is taking a picture of themselves and then they swap and the parent says to the child, I'm going to hold on to the little popsicle stick. That's you, or I'm going to hold on to the picture. That's you. And you're going to hold on to the one that's me. And when you go to school, you're going to keep it in your backpack or you're going to keep it in your pocket. or You're going to keep it in your pillow at bedtime. And you don't just use the object. Of course, you know, we, the psychological term for that is a transitional object, but then we're going to take that object and we're going to imbue meaning to it in a very, very explicit way. So we're going to say to the child, when I'm thinking about you during the day and I'm not with you, I'm going to look at my little popsicle Tommy, or I'm going to look at my little picture of you. And I'm going to remind myself, 
my heart is still connected to Tommy. I miss him and I love him. And right now he is in school and he is, it's 12 o'clock. He's having lunchtime. So we're going to connect to show that even when we're not together, I'm thinking about what you're doing. And then we take it a step further. You think about what I'm doing. You look at the little popsicle mommy or the little picture of me. And even when we're not together, you remember our hearts are connected. And I know that now mommy is getting ready to think about what she's going to give me for supper tonight or is wondering how I'm doing in school or is making sure to go to work to get some money to buy me some groceries, you know, making sure that we can connect to the identity of the parent and the child within that relationship, even when they're not together. And psychologically, what we call this is the internal working model. We're making this concrete and internal working model that creates a secure attachment. I love that. And it's like when people wear like those necklaces with the pictures of people, you know, like to remind them of who they are Very and, what much, yeah. and what they're doing things for. And now let's, let's go back a second to the relationship part. I know I said earlier with my wife, how like the idea of missing, missing me. And, and I talked to her about it and I said, what do you mean by that? And she's like, usually throughout the day, there were natural breaks. You know, I went to work, you went to work. I said goodbye in the morning. I love you. And then you left. And then we, we came back. And it was this excitement of how was your day? But now, because we're so like, we're so able to just be, we're so around each other that I know everything you did. There's no like, oh, how was your day? I saw where you were. I was here. You were here. We're not separated. You know, we don't have that time to miss each other. So can you talk about maybe some relationship ideas that you might have, you know, thought about or tips for couples or even people who are dating the idea of missing each other and maybe how to handle those feelings. And I know the Wi-Fi is being weird. I know the sound keeps going in and out, but we're getting it. We're working through it. Okay. Awesome. I, I hope that we hear each other. So that's, that's great. So let me tell you some thoughts that I have about the relationship stuff. So first of all, this idea, I'm going to talk about this idea of missing, and then I'm going to talk about kind of some of the opposite problems that a lot of couples have been working with have been experiencing. The idea of missing, you know, when you're in a, a good relationship where you really enjoy your spouse's company, I know I've actually struggled with this, thankfully, with my own spouse, <laughs> where we really enjoy each other's company. And so then when we're able to be together, we're always together, we're always spending time together. And it makes it harder to remember, like, maybe we should spend some time apart. Like, meaning not that we need to have a break from each other because we enjoy each other's time so much, but making sure to remember that you have to, this is going to sound very corny, but I'm going to use the terminology anyway, you have to like feed your own well, so to speak speak. You know, you have to make sure that you're connecting with yourself as well and who you are. And so around that idea, I have like a few thoughts. One is creating different, like maybe customs and traditions, maybe especially during lockdown, but then again, maybe that will go over afterwards. You and I, before we went on air, are both talking about how our work lifestyle has kind of changed post-COVID as many people have. I'm doing a lot more time working from home. My husband is as well. So even if we're both doing our busy stuff, we're still passing each other in the hallway, in the kitchen, where we're getting our little snacks. And so we are seeing each other a lot more. So I'd say create certain customs and traditions, both around the things that you're doing together and the things that you're doing on your own. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is, hey, you know, Wednesday nights, we're going to have our dinner and movie night, even if we're technically going to be together every night. <laughs> but by putting a custom and tradition around something special, then we're also going to be more likely to say, okay, so on Tuesday nights, we're kind of doing our own thing. Tuesday nights, I'm catching up my email or I'm watching my stupid reality TV while you're on Reddit. That's, you know, 
what me and my husband are doing more. He's the right <laughs> guy. I'm the stupid TV person. But that's important, by um, the way, that you have individual time. Exactly. I, I love that like idea that you have individuality the- in the relationship. Exactly. Which, I mean, that's a whole other thing, of course, that I'd want to talk about is this idea that when you get married, you know, and, and I'm sure you would have a lot to say about this also, it's important to, like you said, maintain your individuality where there's, there's three personalities in a marriage. There's the, each spouse and the relationship itself mm-hmm. and making sure that you can keep that individual personality. And I'm actually, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about a technique that I created. I was unsure if I was going to speak about it tonight, but I think that this is a great leeway. It's something I created to help us connect with ourselves, making sure that we're like kind of checking in with that little relationship with ourselves and with our relationship with others. So basically I call it your personal pie. And what it is, is it's a circle. It's like a diagram. And in the circle, the circle is divided into four different pie slice categories. And each one has a following title to it. One is things I do that help me to connect with myself. The second category is things I do that make me feel connected with others. The third is things I do that help me to feel accomplished. And the fourth is things I do that help me feel relaxed. So I'll have my clients fill these out. Oftentimes it will be a little overlap. Like for example, you know, one client of mine will say things I do to help me feel connected with myself is maybe taking a bath while listening to a podcast or calling my therapist. Just kidding. (laughs) And it also may be something that's going to help me to feel um, relaxed. So there may be a little bit of an overlap, but you fill this as much as possible. And then every day you try to do a little bit of each of these things. And that usually will help person to feel more fulfilled and con- connected, excuse me, content and connected. So I'll give you an example. So maybe in the connecting with others, I would have having phone conversations with my sister, um, watching a movie with my husband and um, commenting on Facebook groups that I'm in, for example. So maybe today I'm very busy and I'm working on, I haven't had time to do anything, but I'm going to make sure, you know what, let me at least go into the peek into one of those Facebook groups and leave a comment because I need to make sure I'm always connecting with others. Each one of these four pie slices should be met. Um, And then I also want to think about what's going to help me, like I said, connect with myself. Maybe it's going to be going on a walk and listening to a podcast or cracking open a book of something that I'm interested in or doing some kind of, you know, if I like to paint, doing some painting hobby or even just some kind of a doodle app on my phone, something that's going to help me to connect with myself. And like I said, making sure each one of those pies are each excuse me, portion of that pie is checked off. Um, and I think that that's going to be really good. Like you're talking about with your wife, I miss missing you. Maybe part of what's underneath that is I miss missing you, but also I miss kind of being with myself, my own thoughts, but I don't realize I miss that because I so enjoy being together with you. And there's not really a problem per se. It's a good problem to have, of course. And then can you, can you touch base then on what about the relationships that aren't as, um, you know, like I truly love my wife and I, and we having a great time and we enjoy each other's company. What about the relationships that are struggling right now that are, there's like contention or frustration because of COVID. And like you said, mixing that pot of soup brought out the stuff from the bottom, all the muck Mm -hmm. of the bottom of the soup pot um, and kind of brought it to the surface. What are some things that maybe people can kind of help navigate? Totally. Um, Do you hear me okay, by the way? Okay, awesome. So 
I would, there's two points that I always like to make when, when thinking about those relationships that are kind of going through that stress. So obviously there's a lot that can be get into because no relationship is super simple, though, of course, there are going to be certain civil components that are going to carry over in almost every and any relationship. And of course, definitely in romantic relationships. Um, but also it's going to bring up any stress time is going to bring up some of those patterns that may be going on. So I'm going to kind of be talking more somewhat generally. So I would make two general points. The first point is what I like to call figuring out, can we weather this storm? So here's what I mean by that is ideally when something comes our way, when a storm comes our way, we want to be able to be prepared for it, do what you can to get through it and even thrive for it. So like to give an analogy, like let's say I don't know, somebody's on a cruise ship or something, and there's going to be some big storm out on sea. So ideally, when you're on that ship as a passenger and with the people that you're on, that you're with, um, ideally, the crew members already have things stocked up for that case of emergency, right? Maybe they have different activities that they're going to do in case it's pouring rain and they, you got to stay indoors, or if you have less um um, electricity that you're going to have to use. You're going to have some kind of backup plan, something so that you can be prepared and kind of thrive through it, not just survive. That's great. That's wonderful. So that kind of a couple are the couple who, you know, we all can kind of know those couples perhaps, or at least we think we know them from the outside. The couple who's going through different stress and maybe through COVID with like, you know what, we got stronger because of it. We're better. We're the best. That's great. That's wonderful. But then maybe there's also going to be those couples who like, they're not so prepared for the storm. They kind of found themselves out on a little boat out in the ocean and suddenly this storm hits. It's okay if they don't thrive through it. It's okay if there are going to be more arguments and more fights and more stress. That's okay. What we want to know is at the end of the day, are they weathering the storm together? At the end of the day, during the storm and once the storm passed, is their commitment to each other? So meaning it may not be that they have been too, you know, kind of come out of it with like, we're closer than ever. And I learned, you know, you know, some of those people that, what do they call COVID goals? Like people are going through quarantine time, like I, I I didn't love, you know, reading all that. Like I picked up, learned a new language and I learned how to knit now, you know, and all the things that made me feel bad as a parent when all the parenting goals of COVID and like, I made a, a, a crazy, you know, thing in my house and look, and I'm like, we, my child watched <laughs> Disney today. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I screamed today. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you for exactly. making me feel bad about myself. So, right. So the, that couple, no, it's okay. The weathering the storm, even if you're just weathering the storm, you, in this, you still have commitment to each other, even if there's a stress and the tension and they haven't gone through it all beautifully. You weathered the storm. That's wonderful. That's all that you need. There's no worry to, to give yourself, of course, as individuals and as a couple, some compassion for just like, hey, we went through this major storm that we weren't prepared for and none of us were, right? Like nobody, you know, I shouldn't say nobody saw it coming. Many people did see it coming, but most of us did not see it coming. And we just kind of got pushed off by this. You weathered it, you got through it. That's awesome. And that's wonderful. So now that they've weathered the storm, what's the next step? Because if you survived it and you and you didn't thrive, right? You said you're not thriving, but surviving and you're dealing with it, What's the next thing that a couple has to do or should do, because I don't like to say has to, or should do to help them on their journey of their relationship? Okay. I love that. So this is going to bring me to 
something that I've noticed in a lot of my work with couples, the idea that when we communicate with our partners, there tends to be three categories of communication. Because of course, we're going to say that, you know, the best thing that they could do is communicate about what they've been through and figure out how to work through it and be there better for each other. And I've noticed that there's going to be three, like I said, different kind of categories of how we're going to communicate about the stress that's going on between a couple. So the first ideal level of communication, perhaps, that we've talked a lot about is when we communicate what our needs are and the hope of getting the needs met. So for example, let's say the couple who's like kind of just weathered it, we just got through it. And so now like, I want to tell my spouse that, you know, in the future, should we find ourselves in lockdown again, which is possible, it would really be helpful for me if you make sure that I get some time to myself, because if I don't have that, I'm going to lose it on you. I'm going to lose it on the kids. I'm not going to be able to cope. So that type of communication is very much so with the goal of I'm looking for a need to be met. Okay. Ideally, a spouse can respond to that and say, sure, no problem. I get it. We're going to create a plan for that. Either every, you know, day from five to five forty-five, you get your time off and I'm going to be with the kids and I'll be on, or we're going to have a certain code that we say to each other so that I know you're about to lose it. Time for me to jump in. You want your alone time. Wonderful. Great. That's like, you know, the ideal. And hopefully a good relationship has a good dose of that type of communication. Then there's another category of communication, and that is where, for some reason, maybe my spouse is not meeting that need, but I still want to communicate to my spouse what I'm experiencing in order to just share the experience to create a better sense of a bond and intimacy. So again, using that same example, let's say I say to my spouse, okay, please like make sure I have some time to myself so that I don't kind of lose it on everybody. I need to have that time. And maybe my spouse either isn't getting it and isn't giving me that time or maybe saying, listen, I'd love to give you that time. But the reality is I am like overwhelmed myself and I just can't give you that time. I just don't know how I'm going to pull it off. Mm -hmm. So then this comes out. The second point of communication is maybe I can accept that my spouse can't provide my need. So now my goal is not being met, but I could still create a bond with him over saying, okay, I get that you're not going to do that. And I may or may not agree with it. You can't follow through on that need, but I just want to share with you what my experience is like. When I'm feeling that pressure and that overwhelm, it's like, I'm not even able to be present anymore rationally in my body. It's just that my, you know, fight or flight jumps in and I'm just going to explode then. And it feels really, really stressful in me physically and mentally and emotionally. And then afterwards, I feel really, really sad and guilty and regret. And it's a really hard experience for me. And I just want you to understand it. So that's the second type of communication. And using that with the weathering the storm analogy that I said before, it's like, let's say you get out of that storm and maybe there isn't going to be any correcting the wrong, so to speak, that we're done. And again, I'm using air quotes because part of the work with clients is to try to avoid the blame game where I'm not blaming you that you did something wrong because you weren't able to be there for my need. Rather, hey, I just want to clue you into what this experience was Mm. like, not as a manipulative way of an ulterior motive of getting you to change, (laughs) purely just to share together, just so that you can know what I'm experiencing because that's going to create more of that bond and intimacy. 
And then the last type of communication, last, you know, category of communication is, let's say, you know, even the happiest and most healthy couples are going to find themselves in these moments where neither of these styles of communication, neither of these categories of communication are actually helping them. Maybe, you know, using that example of I'm asking my spouse to make sure I get time for myself. Maybe he's not providing that need. And not just that, when I'm trying to explain the need, he's just not getting what mm-hmm. I'm saying. He's not getting my experiences. So I'm not getting any of that shared, intimate bond now because I'm not feeling understood. That leads me to the last, the third one of, I at least can know for myself that I'm learning how to express and communicate myself and show assertiveness and self-care to say, it is important to me that I get that break during the day. Again, you know, that not, need is not being met because then not only is that going to affect my relationship with myself to so show myself that I can stand up for myself and express what I, what I'm desiring, but furthermore, just by expressing it, it it's a, it's not a huge antidote, but it's a little bit of an antidote to potential resentments that would be yes. brewing. Yes. And I know, uh, and we only have a couple minutes left. I know that in the work that I do with a lot of couples, that's like the biggest killer is the resentment is that pent up frustration of things that you want or could or should or have to say, but haven't. And then all it does is create this like fire that you just look at the other person with and see the other person through. And the lens that you're wearing is just total. I hate the word hatred, but like total anger and frustration and hatred towards that person. And even if they do good things, you're like, but they did X, Y, and Z, like no matter what they do now Mm -hmm. is now colored by that resentment. You know, the last thing and we have like 10 minutes left is what, because I want to get to this. I think this topic is truly something important because I think we are all isolated to a point, whether we're in a relationship, whether we're around people or not, there is a sense of isolation from what we used to know or used to feel. What are some things that you can kind of touch on mentally from a mental health perspective as a therapist about the isolation aspect of COVID? And uh, I'll give you a five minute warning when we get close to, don't worry. Okay. Awesome. First, I just want to say something back for a second about what you said about the hatred. It makes sense, right? Like yeah. we heard the saying, hate and love are not really opposites, right? Yeah. So of course, when when it, that resentment goes unchecked, and one of the things they do with couples is helping them to talk about these issues in a way where it doesn't become me versus you. It becomes, hey, this is what we're both experiencing, and we externalize it and talk about it, and then bond over even each other's hurt. But okay, putting that aside. So speaking about that isolation, yeah, as individuals, you know, whether one is living by themselves or with others, either way, there is that sense of isolation. It's going to sound so corny and so cliche, but I don't care. I'm going to say it anyway, because it needs to be said again and again. The first and most important step is self-compassion. Like really just cutting yourself a break, cutting yourself some slack. And, you know, if anyone can take a quiet moment and notice what are some of the thoughts that go through our minds? 90%, I think, of people tend to be pretty self-critical, right? They tend to have like those back of their mind subconscious thoughts that are were went rampant during COVID lockdown quarantine time of like exactly like what we were saying before. I really have all this time to myself. I really should be doing more. I should Why be am I getting- not working out more. Why haven't I lost the weight yes, that I wanted to? Exactly. Oh my gosh, this person's doing this and that's doing that. And why I'm I not and it's always mm-hmm. negative. Like, why am I not doing this? I should be exercising. I should have come up with a million dollar business. Read more plan. Books. 
I should have, I should be reading more books. I shouldn't be watching so much TV. I should be, um, I should use this opportunity to pick up a new hobby, whatever this, that, and the other thing. Right. So all of those should, should almost always, the should thoughts almost always are going to be that criticism. And so I would say like, make like the slightest change. It's going to sound so simple, but it is so effective, which whatever you're feeling, whatever you're experiencing, whatever you have done, preface that thought with, it makes sense that it's such a small change and it's so much more self-compassion. So for example, I spent all day watching Netflix and sitting on my couch today when I should have done X, Y, and Z and accomplished such and such and such. Okay. Let me rephrase that. Give myself some self-compassion. It makes sense. And then you can just put in all that same stuff. It makes sense that I sat on my couch all day and watched Netflix or slept in or whatever it is. It makes sense that I did these activities because it makes sense that I'm going to feel lonely and scared and uncertain and just try to get into whatever survival mode I can and whatever way I know how to make this time pass while we're going through this new experience that I've never been through of a global pandemic. So just adding a little bit of that little line of it makes sense will soften that blow and feel a lot more self-compassionate rather than I should do this and I should have done that, which of course has a tinge of, quite the tinge actually, of criticism. You know, I love that. I love that a lot. I think that's an unbelievable tip. Um, just to wrap up, you know, you do an amazing work. And how can people find you? Where are some places that people can find you, Shalamis? Where people can find me, I'm going to tell you my my website is shalamischerylmeyerfeld.com. Truth be told, if you guys forget that, Google me, Shalamis Meyerfeld. And I'm going to come up. My website will come up. You can also find me on Facebook under Shalama Cheryl Mayerfeld LCSW. And I am on Instagram. Everyone, you got to bear with me, but I'm getting the social media stuff a little bit more, figuring out my style. Um, and on Instagram, I'm Shalamis Musings. And like, I kind of just share some of the different stuff of exactly what we talked about tonight, like little ideas of something to keep in mind, bite size, that can hopefully have a positive effect on your day. Yeah. And in the end, all the things will be in the show note um, and how to spell her name and all the wonderful work that she's doing. Um, like always, Shalamis, it's been such a pleasure to have you on. It's been so great to talk with you. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. You know, for more content from Shalamis, check out her website, shalamischerylmayerfield.com. It'll be in the show notes. You can also find her on Facebook as Shalamis Cheryl Mayerfield, LCSW, and on Instagram at Shalamis Musings. Really, really, season two is amazing and going to be continuously amazing because we're going to have content for you. But as always, I'm always open to hear new ideas and things that you're interested to hear from your perspective, the listeners and followers. Always feel free to reach out to me, DM me on Instagram, the dude therapist, or email me, the dude therapist at gmail.com. Don't forget to be kind to yourself and to others and have an amazing, amazing week. And I'll see you next time on the dude therapist. Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of the dude therapist. And it only is happening because of you, the listeners tuning in every week 
even twice a week, to this show all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics, and really, let's be honest, everything in between. And I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, email me at thedudetherapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at thedudetherapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, subscribe, rate, review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on. I truly appreciate it because that's what makes this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week and see you next time on the Dude Therapist Podcast. We've got more guests and more great content coming your way.